Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Continuing our series today, Easter according to the Gospel of John. So turning your Bibles to John chapter 19, verses 7 to 17, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Behold Your King. I'm reading John 19, 7-16a. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Initially, it had been the strategy of the Jewish ruling authorities to hand Jesus over to Pilate on the basis of political charges. This man, they had told Pilate, is making himself out to be a king. And such a claim can't be tolerated in Rome. If you leave him alone, he'll gather a large enough following. Indeed, his following is already growing constantly. He presents a real and present danger to Rome, and for that reason, he has to be stopped. Well, the Jewish ruling authorities were convinced that this strategy would work. Pilate would quickly rule this man as an enemy of Rome, and he'd be executed. Such is what the Romans did to their enemies. But Pilate suspected there was intrigue. Matthew adds his own insight into it. In Matthew 27, 18, he says, For he knew that it was out of envy that they delivered him up. Pilate's no fool. There's something afoot here. And what is afoot is nothing to do with Roman security. Now, you have to wonder why he even cares. I mean, does it really matter to Pilate? You know, if there's one more Jew who's executed on a Roman cross. But something inside of him has been bothering him. Again, Matthew helps us here. In Matthew 27:19, he says, Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. See, something was wrong. And furthermore, as John reminds us, when Jesus was being questioned by Pilate as to whether Jesus thought he was the king of the Jews, Jesus had responded that his kingdom was not of this world. Indeed, had his kingdom been of this world, there would already have been an armed struggle. There would be no armed struggle. His kingdom would be a kingdom that bore witness of the truth of God to the world. And Pilate, who is living in a world of intrigue and lies, has no capacity to grasp what was said. I mean, what is truth, he asks. And with that, he has Jesus beaten hard, complete with a crown of thorns jammed into his skull, and then completely humiliated, he presents him along with the announcement that he finds Jesus innocent and to be a threat to no one. And it is that drama that now leads us to the next page of this story. The presentation of Jesus, the King of the Jews, and the rightful King over all the works of God's hands. 
Indeed, Paul in Philippians 2 would later write that in humbling himself to the point of death, God the Father has bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every other name. But of course, Pilate knows nothing of the plan of God to send his son into the world and to take upon himself the sins of the whole world and now to become the atoning sacrifice for all who would believe, reconciling us to God and granting us the gift of eternal life. And you know that was not in Pilate's worldview, but he was deeply troubled. He was uneasy about his wife's dream. He was unsettled by Jesus' calm answers to him when he interrogated him. And so you have to imagine Pilate wanted nothing to do with that man's death. Now then, Pilate is preparing to release Jesus, and that's where we come to verse 7. Out of desperation, the Jewish leaders now reveal the real motive in delivering Jesus up to Pilate. It's nothing to do with politics or their concern for the welfare of the Roman Empire. Look again at verse 7. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. So now let's stop here and make application. For those who say, look, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe he's the son of God. Pay attention to verse 7. The only reason Jesus was crucified is because according to the religious leaders, this man claimed to be the son of God. Now look, according to Leviticus 24, 16, anyone who blasphemes God, that is the one and only God, that person must be put to death. And if Jesus had not claimed to be the son of God in the sense that both he and the father were at the same time equal, this was his moment to clarify that matter. If he hadn't been saying that, he'd say now, look, you've been wrong. But he could have said, no, no, you've misunderstood me. You know, I'm claiming a unique relationship to God or or something like that, but he doesn't do that. He lets the charge stand, not raising a single objection to what's being said. Now, let me say it again. Jesus was crucified because he claimed to be the Son of God. You know, that's important. You know, as C.S. Lewis once said, not have any patronizing nonsense about Jesus, claiming that he's a great moral teacher or a great religious genius or someone who gave leadership in changing the world. You know, this is all said as if it were some kind of a compliment about Jesus, but truly, this is rubbish. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. That's why he was put to death. If you miss that, you miss the entire story of Jesus. Now to verse 8. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Notice our text doesn't say, suddenly he was seized with fear. I mean, apparently, a sense of fear had been growing in him until he had become quite taken with a sense of dread and anxiousness and apprehension and even alarm. So what explains that? Well, one possible explanation is that many Romans believing in the gods felt it was possible for the gods to visit them. Pilate may also have been superstitious, the sense that he was jinxing himself if he does evil to this man. Pilate might have been thinking, you know, what have I now done that? I have had Jesus whipped. And what would the gods think of me now? And so he's afraid. Now we come to verse 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And are, I suppose, two reasons Jesus does not answer Pilate. The first is perhaps, you know, immediately obvious. I mean, how does he even answer this man? Pilate and Jesus are from two different worldviews entirely. Although Jesus was completely aware of what Pilate believed, you know, how would Pilate even become vaguely aware of what Jesus had been saying? How does Jesus explain that to Pilate, that he and the Father are one? Or that from the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. I mean, up till now, Pilate 
hasn't even shown the slightest inclination to understand. And beside, Pilate has already told Jesus, I don't believe in truth as a concept. And once Pilate's identified himself that way, it becomes impossible to speak to him. You know, I once had a conversation with a woman who asked me to participate with an interreligious dialogue. You know, under normal circumstances, I'm really not opposed to such a thing, you know, provided it ends up being a real dialogue. And I guess what I mean is this. If you're going to have a discussion between people of different religions, you ought to have the right to express clearly what it is that you believe, and you ought to allow the other person to do the same. You ought to identify points of similarities, but you ought also to identify real and pronounced differences. And you ought also to allow for a respectful debate. But all too often, at least in my experience, I find that such affairs in interreligious dialogue are entirely disingenuous. I mean, often there's no opportunity to get one's position on the table. I mean, often this kind of a dialogue is, is a papering over of differences without even taking the time to understand who the other person is. So I saw that this wasn't going to be a real dialogue. And so I said to this woman, look, I just, you know, no, the answer is no, I'm, I'm just declined to do it. But this woman wouldn't take no for an answer. And she said to me, I'm sure that Christianity, she said, like all other religions, was founded to do good and to bring harmony among people. So you ought to be able to express that. And I said to her, well, that's an interesting perspective. I'm sure that the founders of my faith would not have expressed themselves in the way that you just have. She said, well, what would they have said? And I said, well, they would say that they preach the gospel in order to bring great honor and glory to Jesus. They preach that human beings were sinful and separated from God and that no good lies within us. And they would have said that only through Christ's death on the cross could our sins be forgiven. And only on that basis could we be made right with God. Well, she said, well, I don't know. That's probably just another way of saying that Christianity is founded to do good and bring harmony among people. You see, no matter what I said, she was unable to hear. That's what happened between Jesus and Pilate. The Bible speaks to the community of believers as the body of Christ. Christians are the hands and feet, voice and heart of God. The Spirit who unites us works through us to do His will. The ministries of Back to the Bible Canada rely on these principles. As Dr. John reminds us, the most effective missions, the most effective outreach of the church is almost never accomplished alone. Partnership is always key. We're deeply appreciative for those who join us in mission through their prayers and financial gifts. Faithfully presenting the Word of God across Canada cannot be the effort of a single part. It requires a partnership with God's people. If you wish to support the mission of this ministry or become an 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Here's the frustrating thing about my conversation with a woman who said she wanted a dialogue. See, I understood fully what she believed, and she hadn't even the foggiest idea of what I believed. And what's more, she showed no interest or capacity to get there. 
That's why I don't actually participate in those kind of gatherings. It's so much better just to be quiet. And I think that's one of the reasons Jesus was silent. Pilate, like so many of the damned, has shown no interest in truth, not even the slightest curiosity to enter into a worldview that wasn't his own. Of course, there's another reason Jesus was silent. It was to fulfill prophecy. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And as Jesus stands silently before Pilate, refusing to answer, Pilate becomes angry. Verses 10 and 11. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. I mean, what a clash of worldviews. One worldview says, I, as a human being, am sovereign over you. I have power. I've climbed to the place of power where people know they need to respect me, and you've fallen into my hands. But the other worldview says, God alone is sovereign. And he even controls evil. Whatever evil you do is the evil that God, in his own good purposes, has allowed and even directs. You only have power because God has determined that for this moment, you should have it right now. But in the end, when it's all said and done, you and the high priest will still be held accountable for your evil. You know, later on, the early church in their prayers prayed that way. Acts 4, 27 and 28 records them as praying, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And some of us struggle with this because in our minds, whenever we hear that word predestined, well, we immediately think it means that Pilate and the high priest were not acting out of their own free will, Rather, we imagine, you know, some kind of rigid determinism. But in truth, when God predestined that Pilate and the chief priests would act this way, God had determined that he would not restrain Pilate nor the chief priests from acting according to their, you know, their sinful and wicked impulses. God would not put out his gracious hand and arrest them from this course of action. Rather, he had predestined that they should act according to their inner wicked impulses. Jesus says, you have no authority to do what you're planning to do unless this authority to crucify me were not given to you from above. Again, some of us are shocked by that. Uh, God, we ask, gave Pilate the authority to crucify Jesus? Yes, of course he did. I mean, what do you think Christians mean when we talk about the sovereignty of God? You know, I know many of us say that we believe that God is sovereign, that he rules as king, and yet we've never thought it through, what those words actually mean. And so we say we believe the words, you know, God is sovereign, and yet we don't understand the words, and I suspect sometimes we don't believe the words. Pilate, at least from one perspective, seems to be able to to do whatever he wants. He tells Jesus that's precisely what he thinks. I can do what I want. I can crucify you or I can release you. And says Jesus, you're wrong. See, I mean here that God is sovereign. Listen to me. There is no place, there's no sphere that God doesn't fully direct. Are you suffering today? God has directed that. You know, if you don't believe that, 
you'll never believe that all this evil and suffering against Jesus was directed by God. Isaiah 53 verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. God in his sovereignty always, always, always directs evil for his own purposes, even while he is not the author of evil. Oh, what a hope there is in that. Jesus knew that, so let's move on. After Jesus tells Pilate that he himself has no power over him, and yet that he will be judged for this crucifixion, Pilate is now acting with desperation. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, these events happened on April the 3rd, AD 33. Pilate was officially not a governor. He was rather a procurator. Governors were directly responsible to the Roman Senate, but procurators were directly responsible to the emperor himself. The Roman emperor deemed that Israel was such a volatile place that the emperor himself took responsibility for it and placed his own man over it who would answer directly to him. It was also possible that Pilate had secured a title, and it was friend of Caesar. That was one of his titles. But we also know that Pilate had a mentor, a man named Aelius Segenus, who in October of AD 31 was suspected of treason, and the Roman emperor, who was then Tiberius, had him instantly executed. See, Tiberius was bitter, suspicious. He killed without conscience, and Pilate recognized that he's now trapped. If the Jewish leaders wrote Tiberius a letter, well, depending on how the letter was written, it could also be that Pilate would be killed. So it turns out Pilate had no sovereign power to release Jesus at all. And so after finding Jesus not guilty of all charges, as fear is utterly controlling him now, he sits on his judgment seat and in bitter soul, he cries out, behold your king. See, what Pilate doesn't know is how true those words actually are. Behold the man, behold the plan of God. Now behold your king. And with that, the Jewish religious leaders still screaming, screaming madness. We have no king. Verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Think about what they just said. It's not just that they're rejecting Jesus. They're now testifying that they're rejecting the heart of their own faith. We're rejecting God. We're rejecting the Messiah. Their own mouths are testifying against themselves. See, the entire Old Testament is premised on the fact that God is king. The entire hope of the Messiah is that God would send his Messiah and would sit on David's throne and restore all things. The hope for a king is the hope of Israel. But in their madness, they convince Pilate to crucify Jesus, and then they renounce their own faith, the hope of Israel, the hope of the world. We have no king. Only Tiberius is our king. See, I have no doubt. Pilate thought he was mocking them when he said, behold your king. But I think under God's sovereignty, he's also prophesying. God is using wicked Pilate to tell the whole world who was before them, behold your king. The sufferings and the death of Jesus the Messiah have so many lessons, not the least of them being that we need a Messiah to die for our sins, to pay the just punishment for our own transgressions. Yes, we need him. But at this moment when Jesus stands before Pilate, and when Pilate threatens Jesus by saying, don't you know the power I have over you, Jesus answers him as he does to all of us. See, the cross testifies against all of our delusions. For every single human being, you, my dear listener included, you need to hear the word that speaks against your delusion. 
You know, I can do everything I want, we tell ourselves. I'm the king of my own life. I'm the king of my future. All I need to do is believe in myself. And then as my own king, I will accomplish everything I want to accomplish. And against that horrible delusion, consider Pilate, would you? How deluded. He could only do what God predestined that he should do. And then hear the true words of Pilate, behold your king. Yeah. Behold a man bloodied and beaten for us. Bow the knee to him, for behold, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He rules over all things. Yep. This is the story of the authority and the kingship of Jesus. His kingdom, unlike all other kingdoms of this world, he came to suffer and die for the broken, fallen world that he had come to rule. And what's the application of all of this? Well, the answer comes down to one thing, worship. We must not go into Easter without our hearts being taken up in the sufferings of Jesus, in the horror and the sickening violence which he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And in this, we must also reflect, oh, how he loves you and me. He's my savior, he's my king. So today, as we're approaching Easter, take the time to thank him. Will you worship and will you say, Lord Jesus, this is why I must serve you, for you have loved me in this way. Behold, people of God, behold your king. Thanks for your message, John. You know, as you're speaking, I was thinking, you know, we live in a time in history when kings are lording themselves over people, leading to war and loss of life, people torn from their homes and families. How is Christ relevant even in these circumstances? It's such a loaded question, but so much can be said in response to that. I mean, I think, first of all, um, when it comes to our suffering, And because of the kings of this world, please understand that God himself humbled himself and became a man, and that he suffered under the hand of ungodly political leaders. I mean, that's just the story of Easter. So we can't say to ourselves, God is unfamiliar with my plight, for he himself suffered in that fashion. So I think that's the first thing that we can say. But we can also add something to that, and that is to say, um, even while um, he was crucified by godless political leaders, uh, he defeated death and showed himself to have authority over that. So in the end of the day, even if we are called upon to suffer in the hour in which we live, if we suffer in the name of Christ, or we suffer holding on to Christ in union with him, do not fear, because at the end of the story, there is a resurrection. And so we have hope. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Easter According to the Gospel of John, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, and Bible teaching you can trust. This month on Back to the Bible Canada, we express gratitude to our monthly partners and earnestly celebrate all those who privilege this ministry with their gracious support every month. Your consistent gift ensures Bible teaching and engagement resources continue to be offered through a wide variety of mediums across Canada and around the globe. We invite you to join our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program. And in so doing, you'll not only help to sustain and grow this ministry, but in appreciation each year, you'll receive our annual scripture calendar, a copy of an annual CD series, 
and an exclusive 15% discount on all of our Bible teaching and engagement resources. For more information on becoming an 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner or to join, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.